Welcome to the WealthStream Podcast. The team at Hightower Great Lakes share their insights and passions for empowering their clients to live their best life. In this energetic podcast, we will take you on a journey to help you navigate your financial future, overcome life's challenges to reach your financial goals, and find the financial clarity you've been searching for. Let's explore the downstream impact of your wealth and what it means to you, your family, and your community to live greater. Hello and welcome to the Wealth Stream with Tim Scannell from Hightower Great Lakes. Tim, we're back with part two. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited. I, I think part one was great because we kind of laid out the groundwork for what Stuart was thinking about, Stuart McMillan thinking about as he was preparing and thinking about exiting, preparing to exit, you know, preparing for his parallel path or plan B. Um, and we're really just, this whole passion series is meant to focus on exiting into your best life, you know, leaping from your business to your next passion. So I'm pretty excited because we're going to dive in today to Mac, which I which I'm a, I think all the listeners will find is is amazing. This organization didn't exist, you know, a number of years ago, and now just the things that it does is just wild. So that's what I want to talk about today. Yeah, and and so for those that are listening, if you're just joining us, a couple different things you need to know. Number one, you're in the middle of a passion series with. Tim Scannell. And this is going to be an amazing series. He's going to be talking to multiple people. Uh, but today's guest, Stuart McMillan, he's actually been on the podcast before. And Tim pointed out last podcast that it's episode 41 and 42. Go back and you don't have to go back right now and listen to those, but please do at some point because you're going to hear an amazing story. But before you listen to this one, if you're just joining us just now, make sure you do stop this one and go and listen to the one previous to this, because that was Stuart's first podcast as part of this passion series. Um, and it's going to give you the foundation for what they're going to talk about now. So I'm excited for you guys to get into it. Stuart, thank you so much for coming back. Good to be here. So Stuart, why don't we start just by what, I mean, what is Mac? And, and what was your initial vision for Mac as you were exiting Task Force Tips? Well, the initial vision was to provide a training facility for volunteer firemen. In our locale, there's nothing for volunteer firemen, and they were treated horribly. I mean, these are people that spend six months learning a craft to be able to go out and volunteer, to risk their life, to save somebody they'll never know and probably never see again. And so it's a very unique calling. And I just felt they weren't being respected. So the initial vision was give them a place to hang out, a very simple training facility for volunteer firemen. The uh, naming, however, said much more about the vision than I realized until lately, and that we named it the Multi-Agency Academic Cooperative. A big mouthful. Why? Well, it had to say MAC. That was the key part, was my father who always believed in training and that training people were the key to the fire service, his nickname was Mac. And as I was a young lad hanging around the fire station, it just was not cool to say, hey, Dad, you know, you had to have something, so you said Mac. And so I called my dad Mac a lot. And so we named it in his honor because the funding for Mac came from the company that he started and that I ran. And uh, so I just felt like it was a great thing to honor him that way. I'm one of those um, uh, idiots, I would say, because I, I grew up in Chicago. I have a brother-in-law who's a retired fireman. I have probably a dozen friends, family who are firemen, and I just always assume they're all paid. 
Ah, and um, very common. So that means there's a lot of idiots <laughs> out there because that's a very common belief. Exactly. So I mean, until I moved to Valparaiso, really, till I met you, I, I just wasn't aware of that. So maybe talk about funding for firefighters yeah, and. It's very minimal. Uh, there are 80% roughly in the United States, 80% of the fire departments are volunteer. Some of them get a, a small stipend, an hourly fee of 10 or $12 an hour for call out. But in general, it's volunteer. And it started out years ago, it was the butcher, the baker, and the candlestick maker. And they were all in town. They'd take off their apron and they'd run to the call. Well, as this has evolved, now people are working far away, they have children, uh, two-income families, they don't have near the freedom. And so the volunteer fire service has really been struggling. And one way to attract volunteers is to um, make it an esprit organization, you know, like the Marine Corps. How does the Marine Corps recruit? They take the best and they have a sharp looking uniform and they, <laughs> they wear that uniform with pride. And part of the Mac Foundation's goal is to give these people training such that they have pride, they have confidence, they work as a team, and give them that stature that they didn't have before. We train uh, EMTs, hazmat, fire, and police. And what has been really a surprise for me is how much the police needed to work as well. Not being in the police, I didn't know anything. I was an idiot too. But the police have as much need for training facilities as the fire, de fire departments. And now that we're up and running, uh, we probably have 60% of our training hours are police, not not firemen. Yeah, I just, I find that's amazing. I guess I just always think that, you know, it's, that's, I pay property taxes, I pay income taxes, whatever, and that somehow that's just all funded, you know. Training is somebody something that everybody talks about, but when it comes to the budget and you're cutting out equipment and facilities and utility bills and salaries and all these other things, the training budget falls to the bottom. And frequently it gets, gets, cuts, gets cut completely. And so the training happens with two guys talking in the fire station, you know, about how you're supposed to do something and there's no real formality to it. So what we're trying to do is provide a facility where everybody's welcome and they can come work together. The other thing, you know, part of this comes from the fact that I had the opportunity to travel all over the world with the company, and everywhere I would go, there'd be a police training academy and a fire training academy and an EMS. They're all separate, but when you get right down to it, they all need the same things. Bathrooms, break rooms, classrooms, AV equipment, structures. There's very little difference in what they need facility-wise. And so at Mac, we've provided facilities that when we design them, we bring in cross-functional teams of the different constituencies, and they come together to figure out how they can tweak things such that each group can use it effectively and have it be the same structure. So it's not surprising that government doesn't do it efficiently and private industry does. Mm -hmm. um, what we're doing is showing a whole new model of how training can be provided in a very cost-effective way by the utilization of the facilities. The other part of that that works really good is volunteers train at night. Paid firemen and police train during the daytime. And so we have the facility being used, you know, 16, 18 hours a day, volunteers at night, paid in the daytime. And then the canine officers, uh, they're out there 24 hours a day. We have the, we give keys to the canine officers. They come in at midnight on their shift train their dogs in the middle of the night. So it's being used all the time. Yeah, it sounds like it. When you first were 
had the vision. Obviously, you, you had, had the capital because you were selling the company. You Correct. were setting up the foundation, the family foundation, with helping with the funding. As amazing as you are, you can't do it all yourself. And I know you've talked to me in the past and you've talked on the podcast about how your team with your with Task Force Tips was so important. So how did you go about organizing a team to help you with Mac? Well, I stumbled into Ward Barnett, the director, and one of the things I did when I was in business was I hired an awful lot of people I had no position for. I mean, you see a good person with good talent, frequently you find the position and build it around them. And when I heard that Ward was available and in the area, I, I pounced on it, not really knowing how I was going to fund it. But I knew I wanted him. And originally, it was just a six-month hang around. He was looking for a job as a fire chief. He had been a fire chief for 25 years. And so I knew that's what he wanted to be. And uh, I told him, just help me get this thing started. Hang around for the next six months, interview. And when you find a job, I'll understand. Well, six months in, he took me out to lunch and asked if he could stay there the rest of his life. He said he was having more fun than he'd ever had. And he had done more in the six months he had been there than 13 years in the previous job, which was stunning to me. Mm -hmm. But he was trapped in bureaucracy and funding. But one of the key things I think was I've been solicited over the years for a lot of money. Sure. And it seemed to me that a lot of people didn't want to pay operating costs, but they wanted to pay capital, something they could put their name to. Mm. And so we set up the foundation, the family foundation, to stipend MAC the operating funds. And so we could go to potential donors and say, look, this thing's got sustainability into the future. The operating part of the organization will be covered by the family foundation in perpetuity. What we need from you is help building the capital structure. And just found that that was a much easier sell with people to be able to put up a building and have their name on it than to ask them for money to pay the gas bill. And I know I was in some of those meetings. It it was a revolving evolving process yeah, to whole figure is. that thing out, right? The, yes. Like the structure and how, how you funded all that. And then the, the president of the foundation, who is now president of MAC, was the same person that convinced me to do the TED Talk. So ah. <laughs> the original approach person that came to ask me to be a mentor to them uh, we've become very dear partners, and she is now the president of the Mac Foundation. Yeah, so that's Selena. Tell, talk a little bit about the, Selena in her initial role, what you thought. I remember at the time you were doing QuickBooks and doing payroll, and you were really trying to do it all. But talk about the evolution or the change of role that maybe Selena. I mean, it gets back to, I think, what you just said, was you found someone, you knew this, this is a great person, Yes. I'm not sure what or how it would all evolve, but you were willing to dive into it and make it happen. Now, originally, she was hired to be the president of the Family Foundation, which is a separate entity from MAC. And then Ward uh, Barnett was the director of MAC. So I had two horses in the hitch pulling the wagon. <laughs> sure. And sometimes the two horses would bite at each other. <laughs> and uh, eventually it just evolved that Ward was excellent at designing props, maintaining props, creating, and he didn't want anything to do with the day-to-day. -day. And yet Selena was a fundraiser, uh, a PR person, a marketing person, and could handle the day-to-day. -day. And so we ended up moving one horse into the same stall as the other horse 
and now they're pulling the wagon together and I'm on the beach. So <laughs> Well the beach is nice kinda sometimes, right? <laughs> Not with sand. I hate sand. <laughs> so the vision. Initially you had a vision, the visions evolved. Was it based on you identified needs? Is that what you like saw different needs and then as a result you adjusted the vision and mission of the organization? I think I knew the needs were there, but I had no concept of how big the needs were. I, I yeah, that describes it. And I didn't really think we would have the capability to meet those needs in the way we are because I didn't have the people either. So it's definitely an evolving process. There's no question. But uh, I think underlying it all, if you're not having fun, you won't grow. And we're all having building this organization. They all take a great deal of pride in it. They know how much it means to me. And I think that's just infectious with an organization. And they start to really, it just builds upon itself. <clears throat> yeah, see, I, I think this is really helpful for somebody looking to exit their business like you that they've been working and growing and building to think about that next management team, that next structure, you know, the next vision, et cetera. I know because um, I, I was there and kind of following when you were looking and searching for existing models, like for what you were trying to accomplish. And I, and I think you eventually came to the conclusion that there really wasn't one and you needed to build it yourself. So do you want to talk a little bit about that due diligence process where you maybe went out and visited other organizations trying to do something similar? The model we have is very different in that we are a the only that we're aware of uh, public-private partnership for training in the country. We have not found anyone else. What typically happens is funding is achieved for a particular training facility and the local fire chief says, yeah, we'll manage it and we'll invite everybody else and we'll all get along. And unfortunately, something gets broken, somebody makes a mistake, they get crosswise with that chief or the chief changes. And the next thing you know, the words on the street, the rumor, if you will, that you're not welcome. And so this multi-multi-million dollar government structure becomes underutilized by the only department that's, quote, managing it. What we have is an independent board of citizens, fire chief. We have a fire chief. We have a, fire, a police chief. We have an EMS director. And we have uh, civilians. And we are very, very intentional about being open and ecumenical to all comers. If you need a place to train, we are there for you. And if you break something, we will fix it. And if you make a mistake, we'll find a way to not have it happen next time. And because we know that if the rumor gets out that you're not welcome, that it will kill the organization. But that being open to all constituencies, we effectively have built a sandbox that everybody can play in. They can bring their toys and play in the sand if they want, or we will provide the toys for them to play in the sand. But you're going to play in the sandbox together, and you're all equally welcome. And that is not a model that I've found anywhere in the country. Yeah, I mean, you just ended up having to create it, right? Yeah, we did. And I don't know sometimes how <laughs> those things happen. Um, I would like to comment on the book I just finished, uh, mm -hmm. Arthur Brooks and Strength to Strength, because in there he talks about the intellectual curve and the wisdom curve. And I really found myself struggling with the intellectual curve. You know, I always prided myself at being pretty sharp. And as I get older and I can't remember names and I can't remember addresses, it's, it's really, it can be painful because you feel yourself in decline. And what Brooks talks about is making the leap from the 
where your value comes from your intellectual horsepower to making your value be based on your wisdom and ability to help influence others. And I've been doing that for a while, but his book really put it in perspective for me as to how important it is to your future well-being and comfort with self mm-hmm. to be able to help others with the wisdom part of it and leave the number crunching behind. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I subscribe to his podcast and I've read a couple of his blogs. In fact, they did a podcast on one of his blogs and he's amazing. And I, I, I wrote it down as we were talking before that that's the next book I'm going to read. Okay. So when I looked today, I was just checking the website this morning. Uh, tell me about just three things that are on there. So 300,000 plus training hours, which is amazing. So who are you training? Just and how do those hours, not, not break it out, but just... I, the people that are coming there, it, <laughs> last year we had an event where we had 150 police officers come from all over the country. Two of them came from Hawaii and brought their dogs. Wow. We, had, we had 120 canine dogs. We have railroad police. We have steel mill employees that do uh, rescue, FBI, Secret Service, U.S. Marshals, SWAT teams, all the fire departments, EMS, paramedics, search and rescue. The list just, I mean, I can't really think of anybody who's not coming if they know about it. We just started a project yesterday. We put the excavator in the ground for a new campus. Uh, we call it our tactical village, which will give us double the amount of building space we have available. Because right now the scheduling has gotten really tight on the facilities that we have. Yeah. So it's, it just keeps going. We've got 25 acres we got to fill up. <laughs> How about the, it also says 200 plus departments trained. So it sounds to me like you're training not just Valparaiso, Northwest Indiana. People are coming from all over there. Yeah, the police, we've had um, to use our tactical building, which is one of the most unique structures. I mean, we've been told by FBI, Secret Service, and marshals that there's nothing in the United States like our tactical building. And it was designed by a task force of 28 guys, half fire, half police, and they worked for about a year to design this place. The lead officer actually drew it in Google SketchUp. Oh, wow. Made a video, handed it to the construction company, and they built the building from his Google SketchUp plans. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it gets used every single day. There's people in there every day. That's amazing. And it also said nine academies. What's an academy that that you've hosted? Well, we have uh, a career academy where Ah. firemen come on site that are candidates for various departments. We just graduated them last Friday. Typically about 20 to 24 candidates, and then they go on paid departments. And then we have a volunteer academy that lasts six months. They come Thursday nights, Tuesday nights from 6 to 10, Thursday nights 6 to 10, and then Saturday mornings from 8 to 2 for six months to get their certification. And then one of the other academies we have, which I'm really proud of, that I thought was crazy, uh, another example of where I was wrong, is the Vocational Academy. We have 10 high schools that are participating. Oh, uh, that's amazing. 16 kids, and they're going to graduate Thursday next week, Mm -hmm. and they will have all their state certifications to walk into a fire station and become a paid firefighter uh, right out of high school. I mean, these are, as you look at the website, these are thousands of hours of training um, academies that all this stuff never existed. That's what's always just the most Around here. amazing to me. Yeah. Because if if you hadn't had this vision and the execution of the vision, it wouldn't have happened. You know, and, and what a legacy. And I, I I know 
there was recently you had also maybe some events like there was this community conversation you had recently you want to tell me about that a little bit i wasn't there oh, okay <laughs> so okay. i can't tell you a whole lot about okay. it but okay. uh i can tell you that last monday the last leg of our stool uh the emt side we started our very first emt class we have 14 in it okay and that's the first time we've had an EMT class. That was a little more difficult to get going because of the hospital coordination. But mm -hmm. so we now truly are training all three constituencies side by side. So, as we kind of close out a little bit, are you happy? I'm I'm more than happy. I'm very very contented. I think the word contented is, you know, happy is an interesting relative term. Uh, if you're not unhappy a few days, you don't know when you're happy. It, best quote I ever heard from a movie was Steve Martin and said that life's like a roller coaster. If you don't have the ups, you don't, the downs, you don't appreciate the ups. Yeah. But I think contentment's a better word to say. I really feel like I have done something here that will outlive me and uh, that will, people will be talking about years to come. And, and it's just, you know, how big a fish do you want to be in what pond? I feel like the, this fish has done its job in the pond. Yeah. And so what would you say to the before exit Stuart. So you're talking to exit to Stuart nine years ago or 10 years ago, and, you're, and you have some words of wisdom for the listeners out there who might be the nine-year-ago nine Stuart. Well, there was a book written years ago called Who Moved My Cheese? Mm -hmm. And a lot of people are familiar with it. And the mice sit at the same cheese pile because it's contented until it's gone, and then they don't know what to do. I would suggest you read that book, take it to heart, and find a new cheese pile. Because the cheese pile I moved to is a lot less stress, a lot more fun, <laughs> and having much more impact than the cheese pile that I left. Yeah, the word impact, I think, is just so dramatic, important with for, in what you've done. Well, thank um, you. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're the, my thought behind the Passion Series. I've got four or five, five of other people I'm going to um, interview or have host on the podcast, but... I was really looking forward to this one because, again, all these things did not exist here, and they do now. And it's because you had the vision, but also the ex a lot of people don't have the execution. Well, the business helped me there with the execution part and the team, but sometimes I just feel real guilty that I could be having this much fun. So, uh. <laughs> so if people want to find out more about Mac and support, where do they go? MacFoundation.org. Okay. Yeah. Uh, just make sure it's double C. I had a funny thing happen the other day. I was in a restaurant, and this lady, the waitress, came up and said, hey, would you drive my car? It's like, okay. And she lays the keys, and she says, they're telling me I need new motor mounts. Would you drive it and tell me if that's right? And I said, okay. So my son and I took her car for a drive, realized she had bad CV joints, not motor mounts. So I went back and said, yeah, you need CV joints. Thanks. And then a month later, she says, I saved her $3,800. And I said, why did you ask me to drive your car? <laughs> she said, well, you work for Mako. Oh, <laughs> Mako. I, said, I had my shirt on with my badge. I said, no, it's Mac. She goes, well, Mako is the transmission company. I said, yeah, but that's not me. She uh -oh. goes, well, thanks. You fixed my car. Oh, that is so funny. <laughs> so That's a great story. <laughs> so, Well, we'll end on that. I know that the listener is going to just take away a, a bunch of great information today, and I'm just really grateful that you came and you, you – did the podcast with me. Well, and I'm certainly open. I mean, anybody that's thinking about a transition or just wants to hear about how you put together a foundation, I'm always learning and happy to share because every time I have a conversation with somebody, I learn and get better. So feel free to call me. And we'll I, talk. From having worked with Stuart for a long time, 
that is a legitimate offer. Some people, <laughs> some for some people, it's not. That's a legitimate offer. So, if you're a listener out there, take advantage. Love to talk to you. Yeah, I'd love to jump in here, Stuart. Can I ask you one follow follow up question? Absolutely. I know that you are passionate about your business that you you know your father started and you were you were you know instrumental in, in navigating for the rest of the years that it, it existed and it, I know it's still in existence. But um, tell me the difference between waking up every day being passionate about your job and now waking up every day being passionate about Mac. What what do you feel the difference there is? In your overall just well-being I think this is kind of sad to say but the major difference is the employee issues um, when you have a company with 260 employees and you know them all in their first name and you know their fat their family you wake up every day with the mm. <laughs> it's just a pressure it's a constant pressure that you're taking care of these people and and the issues that they cause I don't have that anymore um, so I have I had joy at TFT, but I also had burden with mm. you know financially and with employees, and it's just a total different engagement with the employees now. Much fewer and much more committed because of the mission we're on. Yeah, you know it's so important for companies to connect mission with their employees so that they don't just go to work for a paycheck; that they go to work to make a difference, and that's hard to do culturally. And we had that at TFT to a large degree. We really have it at Mac. I mean, everybody knows why they're there, what they're doing, how they make a difference, and they do it cheerfully. And so it's it's just a different environment that goes on. They're still getting some petty turf wars. <laughs> and we have to sit people down and straighten those things out. But uh, it's just a lot less than what it was. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. All right. Again, I'm, I'm so excited that you were here. Thank you so much for spending the time with us. Um, Tim, thank you also for, for putting on this entire series and then having Stuart on. If someone wants to learn more about what you do and how you help people transition, I know this podcast is, that's the reason you do this. This is your educational outlet. Uh, but if they want to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation, can you give them your contact info so they can reach out to you? Yeah. Anybody could reach me at tscannell at hightoweradvisors.com or call at 219-246-5370 and I'm happy to talk. All right. Fantastic. Again, gentlemen, thank you so much for your time today. And our last thank you, of course, goes to you, the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Wellstream podcast with Tim Scannell. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Tim comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it really easy to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Hightower Great Lakes, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Wealthstream podcast. We hope you gained some valuable insight that you can apply to your life and share with others. Please don't forget to subscribe below to be notified when new episodes become available. And don't forget to live greater. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Hightower Great Lakes. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified 
financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Hightower Great Lakes is a group of investment professionals registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC.